Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership R&B funk and pop vocalist and composer Tawatha Eiji. Hi, hey, how are you? Hey, good to see you. I'm going to talk a little bit about your amazing credits. Okay. Yeah, well-deserved. Here we go. First establishing herself in the late 1970s with the band Mtume, she would go on to work with James Mtume and Reggie Lucas, produced acts like Stephanie Mills and Phyllis Hyman, before blazing her own trail as one of the music industry's most in-demand session singers. During the past several decades, she's collaborated with Nirvana Michael Walden, Jake Giles Band, Luther Vandross, Diane Ross, Aretha Franklin, Carly Simon, Dion Warwick, Kashif, Roxy Music, Scritti Politti, Levert, Philip Bailey, Roy Ayers, Al Jarreau, Eric Clapton, Whitney Houston, Jeffrey Osborne, David Bowie, Joe Cocker, Patti LaBelle, The Talking Heads, The B-52s, Al Green, Roberta Flack, Celine Dion, Steely Dan, The OJs, Bob James, Foreigner, David Lee Roth. Okay, and enough already. <laughs> and more. Okay. And, and, and the list goes on. Then the it list does, goes on. It does. Yeah. Um, but R&B lovers know Tawatha Best for the number one smash with Mtume, Juicy Fruit. And she also released her own solo album, Welcome to My Dream, in 1987. And now, 35 years later, I'm officially welcoming you to Truth and Rhythm. My pleasure. It's an honor to be here with you. Outstanding. And where is here right now for you? I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> 
right? And uh, I'm in so, Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl. <laughs> yeah. Are you from there originally? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, about? Pittsburgh by way of Jersey. Yes. Let's start with, you know, what drew you to music in the first place and, and singing? Oh, but I, I was I was always surrounded by music, always, always listening to the radio, always uh, reading about artists and, uh, you know, my parents playing music in the home. And, you know, I just I just got attached. You know, I, I would listen. I would listen to the radio all the time. That's all I could do. I couldn't go outside and play. And so I could stay inside and, and listen to music and try to, you know, pick out little songs on the piano and stuff like that. So. And were you in a musical family or who were some? Well, of you know, I'm the only one that that sings in the family. My father, you know, he sang in church. He was a deacon. Well, you know, they would do the call and response uh, a portion of the service. And I was there with him for that. But um, other than that, no, I'm the only one in the music business here. Huh. The only one. Who are some of your uh, biggest heroes or influences coming up and developing your singing? Oh, coming up. Oh, of course, you know, the regulars, Aretha, Gladys, Dion, um, the Clark sisters, James Cleveland, um, DJ Rogers. Um, and the, but I would I also loved Tony Bennett and I also loved um, uh, Frank Sinatra because all, all of that was playing. You know, I, I lived in the New York area, so I would listen to this DJ called Cousin Brucie, who would play the Beatles and, and you know, Tom Jones. And then there was a, a station called WNEW where they played like uh, Tony Bennett and um, and Frank Sinatra and people like that. So I had a, a, a you know, a wide array of music to listen to. And I, I, I liked it all. Anthony Newley, one of my favorites. <laughs> I mean, I'm really going back now. As they yeah. say, my, my slip is showing. <laughs> I'm really going back. <laughs> I haven't thought about him in a long time. He used to be on all the TV shows. He used to be on all the TV shows and Sammy Davis Jr. where you had the Ed Sullivan show and all these artists would come on and perform and, and talk. It's like, oh. And I remember when I saw the Supremes for the first time, because it was the first time I had seen a, a, a Black group on television. And it was like, oh, you know, look at these girls. They're beautiful. And it was the Supremes. And then there was Dion. And then there was Aretha. And then, you know, this was music all around. And I gravitated towards it all. So did you go into talent contests or, you know, did you just jump right into a band situation or? No, no. You know what I did? Um, I played for my local church choir. I, uh, you know, the, the junior choir, I played for the junior choir. And, um, and then one day I had a, an opportunity to audition for this show called the Ted Mack Amateur Hour, which was like a predecessor to, um, um, uh, um, what's the show? Um, American Idol. Yeah, American Idol, but years and years and years and years and years and years before. But it was that kind of show. And I went to audition and um, I told my high school principal, I mean, my, my school principal that I was going to audition for this show. And she says, there's a lady down the street that sings. Why don't you go and talk to her? That woman happened to be Sissy Houston. OK, and so I met Sissy when I was like in the eighth or ninth grade and um, and she gave me a few pointers. I did the audition. I didn't get on the show, but it was the fact that I, I made the effort to do it. So I did that. And years later, I started singing with Sissy with Luther. I mean, years later. So it's like a small world, a small world. Hmm. Yeah. And did you have a professional you know, experience before connecting with them to me? 
Uh, well, you know, I, I met M. Tume when I graduated from Howard University. I got my degree in, in fine arts and music education. So, you know, I was going to become a teacher. And um, he, he and Reggie Lucas came to the Howard campus looking for a group to produce. And I was in a group that they listened to. And uh, we did some demos. We did some demos for CBS because they were working with CBS at the time. He, he, he um, uh, wrote some, they wrote some songs. He and Reggie wrote some songs and we sang them. And um, that didn't work out, but it just so happened we both lived in Jersey. So he said, when you, when you come home, you know, just give me a call. I called him when I got home, you know, and it's like, well, I'm, I'm thinking about putting a group together. Would you be interested in singing in the group that I'm going to put together? I'd never been in a band before. M2 is the, the first band I'd ever been in. And I said yes, because then I was a, I couldn't get a job as a teacher. So I became a substitute teacher. So I had time to do sessions in between, you know, substitute jobs. And, you know, with substitute teachers, Sometimes I would have to get up at the crack of dawn and get dressed and hope the phone would ring, you know, to see if they needed a substitute. And sometimes they didn't. It's like, oh, it's got to be something better than this. But Ntume got me a few sessions. And after a while, the session work paid a lot more than the substitute teacher work. So, you know, one thing led to another. And I started doing sessions and he started producing other acts and 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 on and on. And the, the rest, as they say, is... is uh, her story. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, did you realize at the time, you know, uh, M. Tumi's legacy and history at that point, you know, that he was at that level? It's interesting that you asked that question, because when I met M. Tume, we were rehearsing in the practice room, you know, uh, at Howard University. He and Reggie walk in and I asked him uh, and, and, and um, the, the woman that, that introduced us to M. Tume and Reggie, her name was Louise West. She uh, was an attorney and she also taught at Howard. I knew who M. Tume was because I would get a magazine called Downbeat. And I read about the musicians. I mean, I'd never heard him play, but I was familiar with the with jazz musicians uh, because of this magazine that I would get monthly. And he was always in it, winning these uh, downbeat um, percussion polls. And so when he walked into the room, then he said, oh, this is Mtume. And I said, are you James M-T-U-M-E? Because I got this thing for spelling, you know. And he says, oh, yeah. How did you know that? I said, oh, I, I read about you on downbeat. So he was shocked that I even read that because let me tell you, I was a died in the wool church girl, even though I had just graduated from Howard. I, I didn't, I didn't do uh, concerts or anything like, I mean, go to concerts or anything like that. Um, so, but I knew about him, which is, was interesting because he was always winning these polls and it's like, hmm, James MTU and me, cause I didn't know how to pronounce it. So, you know, and that's how I found out how to pronounce the name because they said, this is him too. I said, Oh, Oh, are you that guy from Downbeat? He said, "Yes, yeah." Well, that probably didn't hurt to get the gig. Well, but <laughs> but but it well, you know, it's just he was just a name in a magazine. You know what I'm saying? And he was always in that category of winning percussion. And you know, and then they talked about him with Miles Davis. I, of course, I knew about Miles Davis. I knew about uh, Bitches Brew um, because my sisters had the, the the album, so I knew about that. But him is, uh, you know. It was a credit and I would always read credits on albums. And I always said one day I would see my name on album credits. And, and, that, and that's what happened. 
I, I sort of spoke that into existence. Wow. So was um, Kiss the World Goodbye the first album or was the one before that? No, Kiss This World Goodbye was the first. That was the album with the with like the uh, animated uh, uh, photo, a uh, picture of Intume on it. That was a beautiful, beautiful cover. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I first came to know the group. And I was very impressed with that first record, even though it was though very it, eclectic, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, but it had rock, it had funk, it had the ballads. I mean, it was just. And that was the band. That was the band. Oh, I mean, because they were such consummate professionals. And it's like, what am I doing here? Because I had never sung in anything outside of, of church. But M. Tume heard something that he thought would work with what he was trying to do. So it's like, cool. But I mean, that's what I was accustomed to. My first band, I, who happened to be the band that played for Roberta Flack, who, who happened to be the band that played for Miles Davis, you know. So it's like, Wow, this is great because I, of course I knew who Roberta Flack was because she also was a graduate of Howard University. So um, it was like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. We'll see how this works. We'll see how this works. What, what was it like for you first going into a studio? Did you know, were you kind of, uh, you know, shy or reluctant? Did you have to get pushed? I had what was ne I had never been in a studio before. Um, um, I was. I wouldn't say I was shy. Yes, I was shy, but I was absorbing everything because everything was so new. It was a whole new world for me, you know, because these guys coming in, they, they, they're consummate professionals. They've traveled all over the world. I haven't been outside of Newark. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, wow, I can learn a lot from these guys. And just to watch them, just it was fascinating for me just to watch them set up the studio for them to play. So I would, they had a sofa. At, we worked at Sigma Sound Studios in Manhattan. Um, and um, they had a sofa in front of the console and I would just sit there and watch everything. I mean, I, if they said be there at 12, I was there like at 11 because I wanted to see the setup. And then the guys came in and then they started, you know, testing their instruments and getting the sounds and all of that was fascinating to me. And then when it's time to sing, I mean, I put on the headphones and I hear everything. I mean, it's like, it was, it was, it was a whole new world. It was a whole new world for me. And you were the only female in the group, the right? The only female, yeah. the only female. Yeah. Once we had another, a female background singer, um, um, but that, that was it. But that was the only, the, you know, the only female. And what were James and um, Reggie like, you know, to just as talent and also as people? Well, first of all, very personable, very personable. And to get me to come in to to work with you, because they were very nice people. We when we were doing the demos, it was they were and Tume was really into the voices, really, really. He was really into the female voice. And so he sort of knew what to ask for without being a singer himself. He knew what he wanted to hear. And so all he had to do was tell me, you know, well, how about this? How, well, how would, you know, how would you sing it if it was this way or that way? And then we tried different things and we eventually got into a rhythm, which worked over the years. So, um, he was totally cool. And so was Reggie. But Reggie, Reggie was more uh, the, the um, instrumentalist. So Reggie would, would have the chords and then Mentume would put the melody on top of it and then he'd have us sing it. And so um, and that's how it went. And, um, and in this group was Angela Winbush, who was a classmate of mine, Richard Smallwood, who is a, a very famous psalmist now, and also Shelton Beckton, who... Um, 
It was the music director for Audra McDonald, Broadway star, and Elette Ricks, who was a, an amazing pianist. She was a piano major and everything she played, she, she, as soon as she played it, it was memorized. And she thought that everybody, everybody was like that. It's like, no, we have to, we have to practice. <laughs> she was, she was, she was brilliant. She was brilliant, but that was the group. So our level of musicianship was high, but it wasn't the professional thing that Reggie and, um, and, and, and Tumi had. But it was, it, was, it was pretty exciting at the time for somebody just graduating from school, not knowing, you know, which way, which way she was going to go, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So it was like, ooh, yeah. You want <laughs> to sing with us? Sure. Yeah, I like that. See what happens. Did the group go out and perform at all based on just the first record or did you wait for a couple of records? Well, we did a couple of gigs, but back then, um, after Kiss This World Goodbye, most people thought that Ntume was the jazz artist, but he was trying to to uh, do uh, the R more go into more of the R and B thing. So sometimes we would be. I remember we were at Swarthmore College, um, I, I believe it was, and they expected Ntume the jazz. Uh, performer, but what they got was a band in full regalia with costumes, headdress, um, funk, jazz, R&B. Uh, they got a a gumbo soup of music. So you know I, that that I distinctly remember. So it took a while for people to realize that he was going into another genre, even though he had the jazz background. He was going into R&B and he was writing ballads, and you know he had written something for Roberta. The, the, uh, he and Reggie, the closer I get to you. So, you know, then after that, they started accepting, accepting him more and more as an R&B uh, writer slash producer. Yeah, there was a whole slew of, you know, jazz cats that went to the R&B at that yeah. time, like George Duke and Stanley Clark and just yeah. the list goes on and on, Herbie Hancock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of George jazz, even. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of jazz purists though, got rude awakenings at some of those shows. Right. Exactly. Because there were purists, you know, some people like, oh, I mean, you're playing electric. It's like, whoa. Okay. I mean, acoustic is fine. But, you know, we got to go with the flow. You know, we're trying to to, to do something new. So everything, well, of course, everything was electric. But, um, but you know, uh, in Tume's background, he's from, his father was the Heath Brothers. And so that's a, the ultimate, like, jazz band ensemble. And, you know, uh, his uncle who was very erudite, played the bass. And it's like, oh, you know, the upright bass. So it's like, you know, he couldn't get with the the electric stuff at all. But, you know, hey, that's how it is. How did you take to performing? How did you take to the stage? Let me tell you. And Tume is the kind of just like, you just go out there and do it. This little, it's not like today where you have like choreography and, um, you know, and and and, da- and uh, dancers and singers and, you know, flying trapeze and stuff like that. We just went out there and did it. The music, the mu- music came first and foremost. And he said that the, the show would come around the music. And, and that's what happened because the funkier it got, the people got into it. And, and then we started doing little things and, it, and we grew as a band. You know, we grew as a band. It wasn't like it was going to be like this. It was going to be A, B, and C, but it turned into X, Y, and Z and beyond. Because every night, 
because they were uh, jazz oriented, every night we we knew we had the opening song. We had the opening number, and that's it. Would always start with the opening number, the opening groove, which turned into something different every single night. So I'm accustomed to not doing the same thing every night. So when it's time for me to start working with other artists, um, doing gigs with other artists, it's like, why are you doing the same thing every night? Why, why is everybody playing the same solo? I, I mean, I didn't understand that, but that was the gig. But in Tume's, um, the Mtume band was so improvisational until that's what I was accustomed to. So it's like, and the only other time I found that was when I worked with the Dave Matthews band. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, every, every everybody likes, as they say, everybody likes what they like, Chris. So that's what worked for us. You know, it was never any, nothing uniform, no choreography, just do what you feel. Let them, you feel the music and then that would be, and that would bring the people, the audience in. And that's, that's what always happened. Yeah, it's beautiful. Spontaneity is a beautiful thing, I think. Absolutely. 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 And Hubert Eves became part of that at some point. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and everybody that, it was Hubert uh, in one photo, there's this Hubert, there's Howard King, there's a tree, uh, Ed, uh, Ed, Ed, uh, Edward Tree Moore, um, Reggie Mtume and myself. Um, that's one group with each, every time Mtume changed his style a little bit, he changed personnel. So you would see different people on the covers. The only constant was Mtume and myself. Yeah. And then after a while, it was Raymond Jackson. It was Philip Field. Um, uh, it, you know, it, it, it constantly changed. But as, as it changed, it got funkier. You know, it just if that's possible, that's what happened. It just got funkier as it changed. Because Miles, Tume always said, Miles said, when you change the music, you got to change the band. So that's what he did because he he loved Miles. He loved Miles. Yeah. How, how, did the band members take kindly to that in general? I mean, was oh, it sure because you know everybody was doing something else? It's not like Intume was the the main job. It was it was like my main job, but everybody else they were so used to working with with other people, and you know, and and like Hubert did um, D Train, um, and Howard King was producing, um, and um, who else? And even. Uh, everybody had something else to do. And even I had started doing like session work. So, you know, if we would come together when it was time to come together and then whoever was available, if you could still make it cool. If not, we get somebody else. It's, it's like jazz. <laughs> There's always somebody else. And I think, you know, I mean, what I picked up on from my, you know, limited interactions with him to me mm-hmm. was that, you know, he was just the kind of person and the kind of, personality and temperament that mm-hmm. made it, you know, sort of, I don't know if easy is the right word, but natural to do that sort of thing. Yes. He, he, he made, he made it very comfortable. He made it very comfortable. And, uh, and, as, and of course, it, when you get into your comfort zone, then you begin to relax and then you can give your best. So that, that's what happened for me. So, um, and then when they started, do, when they started getting production deals and then it was just a, a different artist for each project, it was like, it was, I was, I was ready. And I, I had no idea that the songs would be as popular as they would become, because to me, it was just, it was a project and I, and I'm constantly learning. It's not like I'm trying to be, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to be like the star. I just wanted to sing. I just wanted to work. I wanted to work on all the projects and, and, um, 
And that's what I did. And people liked the that Mtume Lucas sound. And so they would hire me because they saw my name on the credits as the vocal contractor because I hired the singers to sing on the projects. So and that's how I started um, the the other part of my career, not as the as the singer in the Mtume band, but as a vocal contractor and as a background singer. And that eventually grew into a jingle singer. And then that eventually grew into doing tours with other people. And then I had to hire singers to be on stage. So, you know, I, I love that kind of stuff. I like the background. I like the background. I didn't necessarily have to be in the front. Mm. Yeah. Well, it was interesting with the um, Tume arc, you know, that, you know, there were some like moderate hits and, you know, we're doing yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. And then Juicy Fruit was just this massive explosion of one of the biggest hits of the year, and it just became the sensation. Scott, I was on tour with Brian Ferry and Roxy Music in Europe. <laughs> and he said, there's one, he, and Tume called me one evening, he said, there's one more song we have to do. I flew back from Europe to come back to sing Juicy Fruit. And it's like, okay, then I go back. It's like, um, then he would tell me how it was doing because that was the first single because the record company didn't want that as the first single because it was too slow. It wasn't the same beat as the, the everything else was. And it's like, they, they didn't want that song to be the single at all, but M2 may believed in that song. And so he would call me and say, well, you know, it's number 70 on the top 100. It's like, Ugh, I don't know about this. We'll see, see what happens. Then he kept calling. He says, 50, it's 20. 10, he said, you're not going to believe it. It's number one. And when the song became number one, I'm still out with Brian Ferry and Roxy Music. They happened to be performing at Radio City Music Hall in in New York City. And they played Juicy Fruit during their intermission. That's how cool they were. They, they, and they played it over and over again. And if Tume was there, he said, please tell them to stop playing the song now. They played it so many times until it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. But, um, but that's how I found out about Juicy Fruit. I was out with somebody else. I don't, I don't tour with somebody else. I, I think M. Tume had told me that when it first came out, they were only playing it like at late night or something. Cause they you thought know maybe what? it was because too, it was, yeah, because too risque. It, it was too risque, but People called in, the, 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 the uh, audience called in and said that we want to hear this song. And, um, and the record company was surprised because they were just totally against it. It was, it, was sort of, it was sort of risque. Not to me. I was just happy to be singing. But because Juicy Fruit means something different to everybody. So it's like, I don't care. It's a good song. It's funky. Let's just do this. And so the record company didn't like it, but the people wanted wanted this to hear this song and then they started playing it during the daytime and then it became it was a, the number one song for eight weeks for eight weeks it was like the most amazing thing i had ever seen i'd never I'd, and it's like i can't believe this it's like every everything that they were producing was doing well and now we had the band had their own song you know signature song you know that people still uh, request you hear that song so much until you think it's new and it's one of the most sampled songs in hip-hop so and you know thank goodness 10 years after juicy biggie smalls did it uh puffy and, and biggie did it and a whole new generation of people had a chance to hear juicy fruit and so you know and now it's, it's still getting sampled to this day you know it's funny to it's just yesterday my son who's 17 
uh-huh. played the Biggie Smalls for me. And he's okay. like, want to know if I knew that song. <laughs> and I said, it's so coincidental that you're asking me about this now, because that music is uh-huh. from the person I'm interviewing tomorrow. Tawata. Wow. Wow. So yeah, man, it can, it lives on big time. And yeah. Um, oh yeah. And that, you know, I, I had a, a few gigs, a few solo gigs and people still want to hear that song. They still want to hear Juicy Fruit. You know, because it it means something. It means something to your to your your auntie, to your grandma. It means something to the little kids. I mean, even on I see on TikTok, people are still dancing to Juicy Fruit. I mean, little kids. So it's like it's the song that will always be here. It'll always be here. I don't think Wrigley ever used it for their uh, jingles. Oh no, <laughs> no, actually, you know, they, they, they and to may tell you, they 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 tried to stop that song because they thought it was about their gum, and and so they brought him in to like some kind of big meeting. He said there was this big room with a long table and all these people, all these suits, you know, at the table, and then they said, "Well, what is a juicy fruit?" And then he said, "Well, it's not about gum." <laughs> It's not about gum. And they said, well, what is it about? He said, and then, then he said, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you're, what, how your show is rated, but, you know. Oh, no worries. no worries. Oh, he said it was about oral sex. And they said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then it's like they stopped. You know, they, they Wrigley's didn't didn't try to file any kind of uh, suit against him because it had nothing to do with their gum, you know, you know, but everybody. Everybody loved that song, and everybody waited for that moment in the song for you to sing, I'll be a lollipop. You can look me everywhere. Everybody loved that part, and the audience was wait, waiting. I'll be your lollipop. And I would, you know, put the mic out to the audience, and everybody, you can me. You know, that's what they would wait for. <laughs> that's what they would wait for all the time. I, I saw the uh, band on a funk fest at Long Beach Arena, you know, right around that time, if you remember uh-huh. any of those shows and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yep. And um, great show. I mean, you guys were so good and so tight. You know, I wished it was a longer set, but it was within the Funk Fest right, format. Right. You well, know, you so know you those had- things, you get a limited amount of time because they're trying to put as many acts on as, as they possibly can because, you know, you got to fill the house, you know. You guys did that uh, hip dip, skip the beat. And Ooh. I love the presentation of that with the shadow dancing. And oh, yes. That. Uh, that was so cool. Too cool to move my feet. <laughs> that was serious funk right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were very creative. We were very cre- limited budget, but very creative. Yes. And we were the best dressed band ever, ever, ever. It was it was amazing. What a and journey. You, and you guys tried to uh, follow up. Well, you did follow up Juicy Fruit with UB and he, right? You, me, and he. And you know, it, it, he could have done Juicy Fruit Part 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, but he chose no to go into another direction. So, the you, me, and he. You, me, and he. Continues. And that was even a little more racy with the... Oh, oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was a, as I said, grown folks music. Yeah. <laughs> grown folks music. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But you guys had definitely mastered that kind of slow, sensual groove mm-hmm. thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I mean, you people could come out there and jump around and do all that. But what they want to hear was that. It's like it was so primal. It was just it was just in it was in everybody's DNA. They couldn't help but feel something when they heard that beat. Because once they, I remember opening, uh, um, no, I'm working with Luther um, and um, I, I was singing background with Luther because I was filling in for one of the girls 
Um, this was after Juicy Fruit had come out. And so he let me sing Juicy on the show. And he it was at the cap. Uh, it used to be the Staples Center. I don't know what it is now in L.A. And um, that was many, many years ago. And they started playing the beat and the audience. It was like. <sighs> I mean, you didn't even have to sing. All you had to play was the beat and people loved it. it they, they loved it. They loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Good times, good times. Yeah, yeah. As they say, a large time was had by all. <laughs> wow. Do you have a, a couple of memories you might share uh, with viewers about uh, touring with M2 May on any of those funk fests or those arena shows or just a couple of uh, maybe real memorable experiences? Okay. There was one, uh, and uh, but this was one time the promoter skipped out and, and the audience was angry. <laughs> The audience was angry. And then M. Tumi said, we're going to perform anyway. And he says, he told the audience, he says, look, we're not getting paid for this. The, the, the promoter skipped out. We're not getting our money, but we're going to play for you anyway. And they loved it, the fact that we did that. And then there was a time when we did like one of those super fests and it was Rick James, um, uh, not Lakeside, uh, no, not Lakeside. Was it Lakeside? Rick James Lakeside. And, you know, Rick was having some sort of tantrum <laughs> and, uh, you know, he didn't want to go out and then Tume had to be the mediator. And uh, and so we went out and we we, we went out there uh, and played. We, we went on last because Rick didn't want to go on last. He wanted the legal. Something crazy. Who knows? And we were out there and the people stayed. And they all lit their, you know, the the lighters. And when we came out, all you, all you saw was the 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 the, uh, the lighters in the audience. And that was that was beautiful because they they waited for us. Because you know what we do was real. There was no no theatrics. You know, it was just raw, raw funk. And I remember I saw something on your on your YouTube channel where there was a guy there from um, a Commodores. We opened for the Commodores once. <laughs> way back in the day. And, um, and there, Lionel's, uh, Richie's, uh, st the stylist for the band would say, how do you guys, why do you guys dress so well? Cause it's like, you're the opening act. You're not supposed to look this good, but you know, we had that, we had that thing. Clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had that thing. We had that thing. Yeah. Wow. Who were a couple of bands from back then that just blew your socks off in terms of their musicianship and their presentation? Oh, um, Oh, of course, the time, <laughs> the time, Prince, of course, uh, Parliament Funkadelic. I mean, M. Tume took me to my first Parliament concert, you know, and uh, in the concert, it was, it was um, Chic, Bootsy's Rubber Band, and Parliament Funkadelic. And it's like, oh my God, it was like a religious conversion hearing all that funk with Bootsy and 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 the parliament and and Bootsy had Mudbone and Peanut with him and later Mudbone sang with us with sang with the M2 May band so it's you know good things attract good things it was that was the most amazing show because I sat there and like I couldn't believe it it was like church but with different lyrics <laughs> You know, so but it was so funky. It was so funky. And and funk, as they say, funk has its own reward. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I, mm -hmm. that, that as they say, that one turned me out because it was like, I can't believe that you could feel this way listening to secular music. 
you know? Yeah. So, but it was like a, a religious experience for me because the, the, with Booty on the bass and then the, and the parliament singing and Mudbone and Peanut and she had the little string section. It was like, oh my God, this is, this is great music. I'm, I think I want to do this. <laughs> I want to do something like this, you know? Yeah, forget teaching. Yeah. Oh, oh no. By this time, it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but by the time I wanted to go back, it would have been too late, you know, because I graduated many, many moons ago. <laughs> you know, didn't, didn't Bootsy also uh, appear or work on an M to Me album? Like in the yes, mid-80s? he did. Uh, Bootsy played on because, um, you know, <laughs> we were working in, in um, oh, my God, some city. What was it? I'm going to say East Orange, working in East Orange and, 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 and Tume wanted Bootsy to, 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 to play on the album. And uh, Bootsy said, well, you know, the boot don't fly. You know, Bootsy did not fly, but Bootsy he, had he a had that, He had that almost crash experience on the plane. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And so he said, the boot don't fly. And so we got, we got Bootsy up here and Bootsy played, he played on a song, he played on a song that I did called um, I'd Rather Be With You. I'd rather be with you. And that was one of the songs off of Bootsy's album. So we just, we redid it for me. And um, uh, it was, it was gorgeous. But Bootsy was so much fun because he was always in character, you know, uh, you know, he was always in character, always. A lovely, lovely man. Lovely man. Yeah. Great tune. Also. Yes. Yes. And then, you know, Beyonce did that song too. So it's like, okay, that's a, that's a good one, but it's a good one. That's another one that's real down tempo, but still has some funk. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's bu- it's bubbling under the surface. It's bubbling under the surface. And if you if you got any funk in you, you'll feel it. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have anything, it's like, mm, but you know, you feel it. Yeah. 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 So I want to uh, talk about you know some of the other stuff you did um, that I mentioned at the outset for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Before moving on, though, I do want to just sort of in a way kind of close the book on the M2MA part of your life. Okay. Um, you know, we lost him earlier this oh. year. We were talking before we came on air. Um, right. I'm not sure how expected it was. It certainly, it certainly was a shock to me. Um, yeah. And uh, what a huge loss. And I just want Major. to take a moment to, to pay that tribute to him and respect to him. Sorry. No, he, what a major loss, major, major loss, major loss. And he, you know, he's my friend. He's my friend. So, and um, he, he, you know, he gave me enough knowledge to go on and how to do it. And as a matter of fact, we were working on a new project for me, but he got too sick. And so we never finished it. So, excuse me. Let me just tap, tap, tap here. Sure, take um, your time. He was a great, great musician and a great friend. And uh, I miss him every day. And um, there'll never be another. There'll never be another like him. Never, never. He was so in tune to um, <clears throat> the female voice, which is why he did so well with like Stephanie and Phyllis. And um, it's just, I mean, hit after hit. He knew, he knew what worked. Even if if that's not what the crowd wanted, he knew what was gonna work. If that's not what the suits wanted, he knew what was gonna work. 
So he was a wonderful man and he was a very generous man. He had a big heart and he loved the music. He loved all kinds of music. And, and you could hear that in his, um, you know, in his compositions and in his speeches and his, he did, you know, he did Ted talks and um, he just, he was a great speaker. He, he was a brilliant man. Very brilliant, very brilliant. And um, I just wish we had more time to work on the music because we were going to go to something different. And um, so right now uh, I had put everything on pause because, you know, it's it's a little rough, but I will do a new project and um, and dedicate it to him because he he put a lot into me. He put a lot into me. He saw this little girl from Howard, this little girl from Newark, who had potential and didn't even know what that was, but he saw it. As a matter of fact, he wrote something that I I wanted to read and. Um, I had put it on my website. He says, um, and this is it, and it's in his handwriting. He says, whatever I've accomplished in my sojourn of music, and that's been quite a bit, between jazz, R&B, and funk, the one thing that I'm most proud about is that I was able to be the vehicle that exposed you to the world and the world embraced who you were, James and Tumi. And that's what he wrote for me. So, you know, I'll always love that man, you know. He just introduced me to a whole new world that accepted me for what I could contribute. And um, I'll always love him for that. Always. And beyond the musical contributions and the person that you're talking about, he also stood up for important causes and the way he, you know, perpetuated uh, music itself and music mm -hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. He, no. You, there'll never be another like him because he he involved the, the the music and the politics and just did great music and then the politics and you know it's just and he just stood up for things that were right you know and so he he will be greatly missed and I don't know who else does that I don't know what other uh, musician does that right through here I don't know because everything everybody's about um, the I I I thing it's not about we and Tume was more about we. You know, we, the group, the band, not I, you know. So we see, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future with other groups, but we lost a great one when he, when he passed away. Amen. You know, yeah, just so grateful for what he left us with. And oh, he left such a body of work. And, and that's, he instilled in me, that's what, that's what's important. It's like the body of work that you leave. And, um, and I remember one day we were, we were trying to get my, my website together. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm too many. Look at all these. You know, there's some people that I left out. And he would say, don't forget about such and such. And then I had to look online to see who I'd sung with. And it was like, oh, my God, it's a lot of people. It's so many people. And you, but I can't, you can't list everybody. So you try to list the names that people might notice. And um, so it's, it's about your body of work. You know, it's not about how many hits. For me, it's not about how many hits I have because I'm, I'm, I'm a support singer. I'm a background singer. It's about all the people that I work with and the experiences that I had with those people. And you know, it's and it's it's been great. It's been a, I've had a, a wonderful career and I'm continuing to have a wonderful career. So, um, but Mtume gave me that foundation, you know, 
about how to deal with people and how to deal business wise. Because, you know, when you, you, you know, sometimes with females, they, they think they could just, I mean, back in the day, they think they could just, you know, tell you anything or pay you this and not, and not, or not try not to pay you at all. But he was, the, he was a firm believer in getting your money, get your money, get what you are worth, get what you are worth and make them pay you what you're worth, you know? And so it worked out for me. I followed, followed, followed the rules and it worked out for me. It worked out for me. And he would be proud. He was, he was proud of that. He was proud of that. Tawatha, before um, talking about some of that session work, uh, do you remember any TV appearances with M2Me? Uh, Were there any like special ones? You know what? I remember two. And one was the first time we were on Soul Train, the only time we were on Soul Train with in full regalia in and Don Cornelius, who was the host of the show, was saying, we said, what do you call what do you call this music? What is all of this? What is all because he was he was on a tear that day. He said, What what is all of this? And then Tume said, and Reggie said, it's, it's black music. <laughs> you know, but we were dressed to the to the our our nines, you know, our nines was different from everybody else's nines. And there was a, and then was the last performance that we did with um DJ Cassidy on Pass the Mic. And we got a chance to sing Juicy Fruit. And, um, you know, so for me, those two, the very first one, the very first one on Soul Train and the very last one. So, you know, that was good for me. But we didn't do a lot of TV work. We didn't do a lot of TV work. We did we we did the the concerts. We did concerts, but not a lot of TV work. Did the label give you much uh, budget for videos? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) In a nutshell, no. No, no. I don't even think they really believed in us that much. I mean, the Juicy Fruit was fine. You, me, and he. But they, and at one point, they wanted to have another producer come in and produce. It's like, oh, no, no, no. You can't. You're not doing that. That to us. This is this is the band. You know, and then we're gonna do our own music. So you know, he had his battles with the record company. So, um, but we we prevailed. We prevailed. And you had your one solo record, as I mentioned in the intro in 87. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, ha- my dream. You know, were you, did you initiate that? Were you pushed to do it? How do you feel about the project? Oh, you know what? That was an, an additional project because, you know, as, as a, as a production team, we had projects. Blah, blah, blah. They said, oh, you want to do a solo record? Sure. Sure. Why not? Because I was still working with other people. So it's like, well, if it, it's not that that's what I really wanted to do. I just did it because it was like, oh, you're up. You're up. It's your turn. Okay. If it does something, fine. If not, I'm still working. So it didn't bother me that it didn't do anything. It was just like, you know, and then we had the, the risque song, The Thigh Ride, <laughs> um, uh, which a lot of people liked, by the way. And um, and then there was another single called Did I Dream You? So. Um, you know, it was a project. I did it and then was on to the next thing because the way M2May worked, it was like we were constantly, constantly in the studio. So what's this for? And and M2May and Reggie were so generous until they would let us have songs on the, the production projects. So it was a, a fierce competition, writing competition. Uh, uh, competition. So everybody was trying to get songs on every album, you know. And so... Um, you know, that's how generous they were because they didn't have to do that because we could have just just played on the tracks. But they they allowed us to 
um, have submit material and then they would select the material for whatever artist they were doing. So I got a chance to do uh, Two Hearts with Stephanie Mills and Teddy Pendergrass. And so that was really good. I mean, I got my first good car with that record. <laughs> <laughs> got a big old Volvo, <laughs> you know, That's back in the that. day. Yeah, back in the day, I was driving a tank. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah. Um, so they were very generous. But the the my solo project was that was just it. It was just a project. It wasn't like it was it was going to be all or nothing. And if that that record didn't do anything, I was just like melt into nothingness. I was so busy working. I was so busy working with other people until and doing jingles and stuff. It's like okay, it didn't work out. Fine. What's the next project? Yeah, we have it for posterity now. Anyway, yes, absolutely, know? absolutely. Um, Tawatha, you know, I had heard, and I, I didn't really know this until I, I heard that you actually would lay guide vocals down for like Stephanie and, and maybe. Oh, no, Phyllis. I did that for every, every project. I sang the reference vocals because they, back then, you know, there were no uh, MP3s, <laughs> anything like that. So um, we would, I would learn the songs, sing the songs, and they would send them to the artists so they could, they could learn the music. I did that for every last artist that they produced. And mm -hmm. so I was accustomed to that. So when it was time to do Welcome to My Dream, it was like, oh, wait a minute, but these, these reference vocals are for me <laughs> this time, you know, but um, no, I love doing that because then I could, I could pretend it was my project, you know? So, and, and I would hear it before the artist did. So it was, it was, it was great. And I remember one time distinctly, uh, we were doing um, Two Hearts, and because a two hearts was supposed to be um, just a, a just Stephanie singing, and then they decided, you know, let's make this a duet. And who could who we who could we get to sing this duet with with Stephanie? And then Teddy Pendergrass's name came up, so we had to do um, a reference vocal, so Teddy and uh, Stephanie could hear it. And so it was Stephanie and I singing two hearts. And, you know, we're both very short women. And so you have these two little people with these great big voices singing this song and just wearing it out. And I cannot find that tape anywhere because it was like the best version of Two Hearts ever. So um, it was it was great. But that's what I did. I did the reference vocals, the guide vocals for every artist, every song. Wow. Yeah. Were you blown away at the uh, you know chain of hits that were coming in? You know what? Um, when when I had to write about it, then I realized it's like, oh my god, every song, every song did well. Every song was a hit. Where it was, it was, it was amazing. It was like I can't believe this. This is I have a wonderful life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really enjoying this, and it was something that I loved to do. So it's not like I had to go to work every day and I hate my job. Now I love my job and I still love my job. So it's, um, it was a good thing. It's a good thing. What, what were your two favorite M2 May songs besides Juicy Fruit? You know, we did something on the, one of the earlier albums called Love Lock. It was a, more of an instrumental. Um, and it sounded like, um, like a smooth jazz thing uh yeah uh, what we had we had a station here in new york called cd 101.9 where they would play like easy easy listening jazz stuff it, that was one called love lock and then there's um another song called 
oh my God, it was a song um, where, uh, let's see, there was a knock on the door and it said, who is it? It's Mtume, those Mtume people. Oh, dance around my navel or tie me up or something like that. It was called tie me up. And that was a very funky piece. That's the, those are the songs that they played in like in the bars all the time, you know, with the, with the jukeboxes. It was really nice, really nice. So it wasn't it wasn't the hits. It was the other songs that I liked because we would always get into a nice group, you know, and I like that. And then you had a chance to be really spontaneous and you just, you know, dum, 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 dum. it tied me up. It was so funky. Oh, it was beautiful. And then there was a song called Dance Around My Navel. And it was just, we had crazy titles for all these songs. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was just a joy to be in that band. It was just a joy. It was a joy because it was always creative. N- nothing, um, like I said, we always started out, we we had the 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 blueprint for the song, but then it always turned into something else, you know. And that's what I loved about working with him too, man. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.